here we are at the end of the year for Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. And just after I recorded uh, the interview with this week's guest, Sean Garney of Scopolitas Transportation Consulting, the world threw us a bit of a curveball. So you will hear us briefly discuss the impending reign of Mira Joshi as head of the FMCSA. And not long after we recorded, the word came down that she was going to join the administration of the new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, and she would not, in fact, be the head of the FMCSA. Joshi had never been confirmed. She was in an acting position. Actually, deputy was her title, but her confirmation was expected. You're going to hear Sean and I discuss her candidacy, but we didn't really have the ability to re-record. It's a short discussion, so it doesn't dominate the whole thing, but now you have been warned. So as the year comes to a close, let's talk about a few numbers. I know that numbers don't always go well over radio when there are too many of them, so we're going to try to keep it simple. The DOE diesel benchmark price closed last year at $2.63.5 per gallon. There's one more post to go this year, next Monday, but we can tell you that as I record this, the most recent price is $3.62.6, which means that it has gone up exactly, just not exactly, but almost exactly $1 in one year, a nice, easy number to remember. And what was the highest number this year? It wasn't that long ago. It was about the second week of November, and it was $3.73.4. What was the lowest number? The lowest number was the first number of the year, $2.64 per gallon. If you graphed all this on a curve, it would show a fairly steady rise in this benchmark diesel price all year long. Of the 50 prices that have been posted this year so far, only 14 times was the price lower than the prior week. And of those 14, five of them have come in a consecutive streak since mid-November. So it's been a challenging year for diesel buyers. But let's dispose of a few political myths. No, the U.S. production of oil did not collapse under Joe Biden. It started the year at about 11 million barrels per day, and it's up to 11.7 million barrels per day in the most recent report. But after several years of a supply glut, the pandemic and the collapse in price accelerated what already is a disturbing trend, a lack of investment in new production. You know, if not a single barrel of new production was brought online in a single year anywhere in the world not just the U.S., output would go down around 7 to 8% a year just on the basis of depletion. So there needs to be capital and there needs to be drilling just to keep things even. And we're just not getting that around the world right now. In particular, in the U.S. shale fields, they operated for a long time on an unsustainable model. You borrow lots of money, you drill lots of wells, you produce a lot of oil and natural gas, you use the profits of that to finance the debt, and generate new free cash and generate no free cash flow. You borrow some more money and you just keep doing that. But you can't do that forever. Companies are under tremendous pressure to start showing significant free cash flow. And in the last two years, they did for the most part. And part of the way they did that was to dial back on the frenetic drilling of the past. The U.S. oil rig count is actually up under Joe Biden. It's a pretty significant gain. It's actually more than 50%. And with prices having plateaued here for a bit, maybe, maybe it was enough to keep the market from moving even higher. But the world continues to demand more oil every year, and the lack of capital going into it remains a big concern. That isn't a Joe Biden thing. It's an industry thing, and it's worldwide. And it may take even higher prices to spur the greater level of activity the world needs for its oil consumption to be met. The good news is that there is a long history of these kind of cycles. This isn't new. Strong prices bring lots of investment in new technology like shale, and it brings production increases with it. Demand then softens because of the high prices. 
production eventually gets excessive to consumption because of all the investment. Prices fall. Investments, investment declines too. And the whole cycle eventually starts again. It could take six, seven years, maybe even more for this whole cycle to play its course. And I will concede that it is painful for consumers on the way up. Well, this is our last podcast of the year, and uh, it's going to end the year very similar to the way the last two years ended. The last two years, I closed out the Drilling Deep year with an interview with David Checky of Scopolitis Transportation Consulting. Scopolitis Transportation Consulting is an arm of the well-known Scopolitis law firm based in Indianapolis, which does trucking and pretty much only trucking. Dave is now president emeritus at Scopolitis, so instead we turn this year to Sean Garney. He's the co-director of Scopolitis Transportation Consulting. He has served as an industry expert on topics ranging from hours of service, electronic logging devices, and the FIMSA's Compliance, Safety, and Accountability Program, among others. Garney earned a Master's of Transportation Policy, Operations, and Logistics from George Mason University and a Bachelor's in Public Relations from the State University of New York at Oswego. Uh, Sean, welcome to Drilling Deep. Yeah, thanks, John. Happy to be here. And uh, uh, Merry Christmas and happy, happy holidays to you. I know you told me that you went to college in the Adirondacks, and I wasn't sure until I read your bio that it had been Oswego. Yeah, I actually, I went to college in Oswego, and I did a, a short stint at New Paltz as well. A couple of years at New Paltz, a couple of years at Oswego. Uh, very good. So you, I gather you're a native New Yorker. That's right. That's right. Okay. Proud. So it's, uh, I always really like talking to Dave because given the uh, the, the sweep of everything that uh, Scope Leaders Transportation Consulting does, you can talk really pretty much about any issue at all. So, uh, and I think probably, I will, I will, I'll do this podcast, however long I do it, I, if I interview you or somebody else from Scope Leaders will say at the end of every year, boy, it was quite a year, wasn't it? So uh, <laughs> let, me, let me just ask you, uh, what's it like running a consulting business in a trucking industry that's having an absolutely banner year? Is it different than other years? Are, are the issues the same or are there are there issues that come up that are kind of like issues of wealth? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think our, our consulting firm is a little bit different than some of the others in that um, we can really handle sort of a lot of a lot of issues. We have a very deep bent from a lot of different perspectives. So we're able to sort of ebb and flow with the the issues that the industry cares about you know, at the moment. And so I think we saw when COVID first started, you know, trucking was nose to the grindstone, you know, trying to survive, figuring out what the new landscape looked like. And, um, you know, but then we came into 2021 and we started the supply chain concerns and the industry really started to look back towards our services as a consultant to, um, you know, to try to fix some of the problems that maybe they, didn't spend as much time focusing on in 2020. So, um, you know, as a consultant, you have to just ebb and flow. You have to sort of play where the industry needs you. And that's, I think, one of the things we excel at. It's hard to rank what is going to be the biggest issues of 2022, but I'd say knocking right on the door is going to be the, uh, we'll call it the vaccine mandate. I know other people would say it's not a vaccine mandate, but I think for a shorthand to, to make it clear, we're going to, we're talking about the the rule that will be administered by OSHA uh, that would require either a level of vaccination or a level of testing by all employers with 100 or more employees. Uh, over the weekend, as we record this, uh, there was a court, actually, I guess it was late last Friday, uh, there was a court that uh, re-implemented the, uh, the vaccine mandate. And theoretically, the federal government is free to go. We know there's more litigation. We know that the American Trucking Associations is one of the plaintiffs in one of the lawsuits that's seeking to uh, implement it. But I think every company out there is probably going forward with the idea that this is going to be the law. 
And uh, what are you hearing from your your clients on that? Uh, if you've got a client with under 100 employees total, this isn't going to affect them. And if you've got an employee, a, a company with 100 or more, this is going to affect them in a very big way. So what is your take on how this will hit the trucking industry? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question. And, and of course, as you mentioned, there's so many unknowns right now. Uh, you know, the federal government did sort of or the, the courts did reinstitute the, the ETS, the Emergency Temporary Standard, but they kicked the you know, OSHA kicked the compliance deadlines down the road a little bit. I think trucking companies right now, the, the the savvy ones, they're working in a just-in-case sort of scenario. And right now they're trying to categorize their employees to see which ones are going to fit certain exemptions and which ones aren't, right? And they're trying to you know reevaluate their operations to see how they can get others to fit those possible exemptions, right? The primarily outdoors or the, you know, the working alone exemptions. So I think there's a lot of preparing to happen on that front as we wait and see sort of what the next step is. We know the American Trucking Association is going to try to get to the Supreme Court on this. And and if they take it, they'll try to act quickly. But remember, this is only an emergency temporary standard with six months of legs. So the, the real question is, does OSHA try to make it a permanent standard on the back end of this? But I think a lot of companies right now, again, are categorizing employees, trying to understand which ones are going to be subject and which ones aren't and, and how to best deal with that. Is the fear real? I, I, you know, the, the, all the talk about people are going to leave the industry. Um, I, I don't know that I accept that talk. Maybe it will, but there, of course, is an, an off-ramp for drivers that don't want to be covered. And, and let's point out that, that there are signals from the Biden administration that it would not cover truck drivers driving solo. But the off-ramp for drivers would be go to a company with under, under 100 employees, of which there are many, and which they're all looking for drivers. Do you see a lot of that trend possibly happening? You know, there's been an interesting trend all through 2020 of truck drivers um, going after their own operating authority. So we've seen a huge influx of applications for new authorities through FMCSA. And, you know, that's for a number of reasons. I think the owner-operator model is strong in the trucking industry. So that's one. But the other is, you know, spot spot market rates have been high and drivers have been, you know, looking to take advantage of that. And going out and getting their own authority. So I, I think we could see some more of that. We could see some drivers moving to, to smaller companies, but um, it's it's tough to know exactly what's going to happen here. I think I think companies are, are trying to are trying to adapt. They're trying to to do the right thing here, um, and they're going to try to to keep as many drivers as they can. But um, you know, the trucking industry, particularly the long haul over the road segment, has always been one of churn. Um, so I think we'll see that continue in the future as well. Let's talk about something else that's going to be going into effect pretty early, and that's the entry-level driver training rule. It's been in the works for a couple of years. I think it was originally supposed to go into effect in 2020. Now it will go into effect in February 2022. Can you describe it, and can you talk about what you view as the impact? Yeah, thanks. I think this is this is a big deal. This is something that that I worked on for a long time at the American Trucking Associations and other places. Um, you know, this is effect, uh, effectively going to require almost all drivers looking to obtain their CDL for the first time to take specific training that's been outlined by the federal government. So anyone looking to get a CLP or a CDL for the first time, upgrade their CDL class B to a class A, uh, or get certain endorsements, including like a, a hazardous material endorsement, sleep or a school bus or, or passenger endorsement, is going to have to take this 
entry-level driver training. Um, you know, effectively what the government has done is, you know, they got a whole bunch of industry experts in the room to craft this rule. And so essentially ELDT codifies sort of industry best practice in the training space. Uh, I think it is in some ways going to slow the throughput of drivers into the market, but I don't think in significant ways. They, that is to say, there were some drivers, there are some drivers that are entering the trucking industry through sort of non-traditional paths, right? They have experience uh, on the farm running the truck or in, in other locations with, with trucks, and they're able to get through and obtain their CDL without, without attending a truck driving school. But you know, the big thing that hampers those folks is access access to a truck to, to practice and, and to take the skills test. And so I think the most common entry into the trucking industry currently is through a truck driver training school, whether it be a publicly funded one through a university or community college or a private truck driving school that's sort of associated with the motor carrier. That's really the most common entry into the trucking industry. And so we'll kind of con- continue to see that to see that play out. And I think the training will just be a little bit more standardized. We'll eliminate sort of the, you know, the truck driver training schools that weren't looking to actually train, but were just sort of what do they call those CDL mills, you know, sort of just passing through drivers. So we'll, we'll see that and hopefully we'll see an increase in, in safety as a result, but um, we'll kind of have to see what happens. FMCSA has been uh, consistently saying that they expect to meet the deadline, the February 7th deadline, by which um, drivers will have to take ELDT to get their CLP or CDL. Um, it appears on track. The technology appears to be working. Well, it'll remain to be seen. There is a huge focus on from the administration on truckers, dri- the, the truck driver shortage, supply chain challenges. I don't think that'll impact ELDT necessarily, but Um, certainly we've seen a lot more focus in the last year on the supply chain and on the driver supply than, than we have in my memory. So (laughs) we'll we'll have to feel right. So now the other thing that'll happen presumably in 2022 is that Mira Joshi will take over as head of FMCSA. She is, has not been confirmed yet though. I guess, I gather she's acting, uh, acting director of FMCSA. Uh, have you spoken to her? What do you know about her and what are some of your anticipations? Yeah, I think everything that I've heard of of Mira is pretty great. Uh, she's you know she's acting now and, and she's waiting to become uh, to be confirmed as the the administrator. You know I know that she's a data focused person uh, that she cares about the issues and fully understanding the issues before she acts on it. I think that's one of the reasons we didn't see anything about CSA this year because. She's still working to to wrap her head around uh, what it is that that they're doing with it. What is IRT? You know, what does it look like to be implemented? I think if we wanna we wanna understand sort of where her priorities are, we can look to to her previous roles, her previous high profile roles, including the uh, the Taxi and Limo Commission in New York City, right, where she led sort of a a granular data collection effort on taxi and app, app providers, right, put GPS you know, GPS uh, responders on vehicles and tried to measure their impact on traffic congestion and use that data to institute a number of rules around, you know, uh, utilization penalties and minimum minimum pay and that sort of thing. And so I, I think 
you know, she called that a great example of where regulations and the market can work together. And we know that her and the administration care a lot about equity issues, about pay issues. Um, so I think we'll see FMTSA, to the extent possible, try to press into that a little bit, but to really focus on the data before making big moves. So, and I think that's generally a, a positive, right? We want an administrator who cares deeply about good public policy. Um, and I think she does now to which direction that public policy goes is, you know, is another conversation for another day. But, um, but I've heard, I've heard relatively good things about her. Yeah. Let's, let's keep the focus on Washington now. And just a few days ago, uh, we're recording this on the Monday before Christmas. And I guess it was on Thursday or Friday, uh, the Biden administration released its trucking action plan, uh, which is to be led by the U S departments of transportation and labor. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy to mock it because it doesn't have any big one sort of magic stroke that fixes everything. But I think that kind of points to the fact that there's probably a limited amount uh, of governmental action that can be taken to fix some of the, the supply problems that are in the trucking business. What was your perspective on it? Do you think they kind of went as far as they could go? Or are, they, are there any other sort of bullets in the, that they could have put in the chamber out there to get something fixed that they chose not to do? Yeah, boy, that's a hard question. I mean, the driver supply, the supply chain in general, it's it's an open market force, right? And the government has impact on it to the extent possible. But I, I think you're right that the well, first first of all, let's say the federal government, the office of the president issued a trucking, you know, task force document, which which really, you know, we haven't had this kind of attention on the trucking industry. Uh, in my career, I don't think. And so I think I think that's very good. I, I do think that there's a bunch of light touch on there, you know, a bunch of task force, a bunch of folks in an ivory tower thinking about, you know, what's good for the supply chain. So I'd agree in that. But just having that attention placed on us is is wonderful. You know, so I think a lot of the things that they've suggested doing have already been you know, in, in the pipeline, so to speak. So, you know, FMCSA's study on um, the la- large crash causation study that's been, you know, FMCSA has been working on that for a long time. Um, interesting to see some of the things that they're prioritizing, right? They, in the first 30 days, are saying the Department of Labor FMCSA study on driver pay will start, um, which was, which was part of the, which was part of the, the authorization, the, the transportation reauthorization bill. Uh, but was pegged to the end of that uh, driver apprentice program, uh, the younger driver apprentice program. And they're starting that before they're starting the, the apprentice program. So I think that's an interesting development. But, you know, we've got a lot of listening sessions, some some funding for states on how to streamline CDLs, um, you know, how to get more veterans into the industry. A lot of this stuff we've been talking about for an awful long time. So what will be the immediate impacts? You know, I think I think they'll be light, but um Certainly, we should relish the attention, and we should try to take take advantage of that opportunity to you know to push industry priorities and you know and get things going again. Yeah, I think back to when the uh, when uh, FMCSA changed the hours of service rule, a couple of th- changes in there. I guess that was a year, year and a half ago, um, and that was uh, under when uh, the director was um, drawing a blank on his name now. Jim uh, Mullen. I'm sorry. Jim Mullen. No, but who, who was before that? Oh, uh, Ray Martinez. Yeah, Ray Martinez, he started that initiative. And, you know, they did a lot of listening sessions and they went through a lot. And, you know, you can look at the changes that they made at the end and say, yeah, it's not really a big deal. Um, I 
I, I won't comment on that, but it, it just kind of shows you that, that big change in big regulations is really tough to get done. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. And that the effort on hours of service was Herculean. And the fact that they got it done in two years was was impressive too. But you know, as we move into a conversation about what to expect next year, uh, you know, let's not forget that advocates submitted finally submitted their initial brief on hours on the hours of service lawsuit early in December. They're, you know, they've decided to attack the 30 minute rest break requirement and the short haul provision. Uh, those are the ones that seem to bother them the most. And FMCSA is going to submit their brief in just a couple of weeks. And that's really going to tell us, you know, how strongly they plan on defending those changes. Let's not forget that those changes came out in a different administration, which looks a lot different than this administration. So um, we'll see what their brief looks like and, and how much of a fight they want to put up for the changes. I think the industry has been pretty happy with the changes. I also don't think the advocates picked the strongest arguments they could have, um, you know, to, to fight against those changes. So, you know, so we'll have to see, but that needs to be on our radar for 2020 as something to just keep an eye out for, because, you know, if it were to go the wrong way, uh, it'd certainly be a significant impact. Let's talk about something else. I mean, really, the biggest thing that might come out of Washington this year would be a Supreme Court ruling on AB5. We don't know whether that's going to come out this year, so we'll kind of put that aside. But there is also a federal independent contractor rule. Now, right before it left office, the Trump administration put out a rule that certainly I think the industry would have felt um, was was favorable to it. Uh, the Biden administration then immediately yanked the rule within the first weeks after it took office. And now we're waiting on the Biden administration's rule on federal uh, um, the definition of, a, of an independent contractor. Uh, it's very significant because it can be used in litigation. It can be used by, I guess, OSHA, not OSHA, but uh, uh, various federal agencies in prosecuting any efforts against a trucking company. Do you hear anything about where the, the Biden administration is on implementing a new federal independent contractor rule? Boy, that's a that's a great question. And I haven't heard anything specifically on where they are on the federal independent contractor definition, um, for sure. But if you just look around the federal government right now, I think you can see a lot of a lot of um, focus on things like driver pay, driver equity. And, and that's their biggest concern typically with independent contractors is that they're not treated as fair or fairly enough um, given their independent status, right? And, and they often feel like, you know, it's the company trying to evade um, the responsibility to pay for healthcare and that sort of thing. And so if you, if you look at it from that lens, you can look out and see things like this driver pay study, uh, this truck leasing tax task force that's going to start in 90 days, that's going to look at, uh, you know, truck leasing arrangements between companies and drivers and determine if drivers are getting taken advantage of and develop tools so that they can better better analyze the leasing arrangement that they're getting into. So, you know, what specifically like the Department of Labor might do on, you know, a driver, a driver owner operator definition, I'm unsure of, but I know for certain that driver pay, driver equity, leasing arrangements, all of this stuff is is certainly on the radar of um, of the administration. Yeah. I mean, jumping back to the uh, the Biden administration uh, release from last week, I think that study on leasing is going to be fascinating uh, mm-hmm. because this is obviously one that you know gets talked about a lot. But I, I mean, it tends to get talked about from the extremes. 
uh, from yes. both sides that either it's a it's it's like you know a, a notch below slavery or it's this <laughs> great path to the American dream it, it, there doesn't yeah. seem to be any moderation here uh, uh-huh. so I'm going to be very interested to hear what they have to say uh, kind of running out of time unfortunately uh, let me ask you one last question sure. uh, parking how much can the federal government really do about it it just seems to me to be such a local issue local zoning local land use um, the federal government I think it, you know it seems to me their role is on the margin what's your what's your view of it yeah, I agree with that. I think I think truck parking is is a big issue, and it's it, it rises every year on the issue on the number on the top issues in the industry, uh, for certain. But it it is in a lot of ways a, a local issue because it's a land use. Truck trucks take space, and we need space to park them, and we need that space in the right location. So you know, there's funding opportunities, right? We could fund truck parking, you know, the development of that space, but often. You know, uh, truck stops are privately owned in a lot of cases, so so that's less helpful, I think, on the state level. States who you know through you know financial difficulties closed a lot of rest stops and and truck parking, and they could reopen those. We've seen folks try various technology um, technology solutions to this, where they could help truck drivers reserve spots or identify spots, but those are really again just helping on the margins. What we need is space in the right places to get trucks off of parking ramps. And that's, you know, that's a local thing. I mean, the highway bill contained a lot of local money and some of that can be used towards truck parking. Now there's nothing specific that says use this on truck parking, but that doesn't mean that states and localities can't. Now that we're hearing a lot more about the supply chain, you know, hopefully that funding will start, but you know, from, from start to completion, a road project is 10 years. So um, we'll have to see sort of how it happens. I think the best we can do is just keep talking about it, you know, and keep going to our local, our local lawmakers and, and tell them how important this is. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see, but limited, limited authority for sure. Well, Sean, we could talk another 20 minutes or another 60 minutes because there's never, no shortage of issues. And you certainly, certainly there's no end to uh, the, the reservoir of knowledge you have all about this. So I want to thank Sean Garney, the co-director of Scope Leaders Transportation Consulting. Uh, please come back again maybe a year from now, right? Yeah, <laughs> sounds great. Make it a date. Thanks, John. I want to thank uh, all of our listeners, all of our guests this year on Drilling Deep. It's been a lot of fun. We have covered the gamut of industries in the transportation sector. We've talked about trucking, of course. We've talked about oil. We've talked about rail. We've talked about government regulation. It's been a blast. And it's uh, certainly notable as we close out 2021 that uh, Freightcast, of course, we are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts at Freightwaves, hit its 1 millionth download just the other day. So that's certainly a very big, uh, big benchmark. A very great time for us. And we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this year. I've been your host, John Kingston. Please join us again in 2022.